0: prayer is a vital part of the christian life uh, the short command in 1st Thessalonians 5:17 is pray without ceasing and there is always room for improvement when it comes to our prayer lives i'm not here to shame anybody including myself but we can always be better prayers In the past, I have preached sermons asking Jesus and asking Paul and asking the writer of Psalm 119 to teach us to pray. We can learn from individuals of the Bible on how to pray. I want to suggest to you that we can also learn what matters most When it comes to our Christian life, as we look at the prayers of the Bible, you want to know what is crucial in your walk with God. You want to know what's important in your Christian life. Then look at the prayers that are found in the Bible, particularly look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul uh, in his prison epistles. When you look at Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, Paul Others prayers to God for those to whom he is writing. And when you look at Paul's prayer, there's not a bunch of flowery words and a bunch of fluff. Uh, He's he's not trying to pray a long prayer. He's not trying to fulfill an obligation. He's trying to let the individuals that he's writing to know what he is asking God to do in their lives. And by doing that, he's letting them know what's crucial, what's important, what really matters. Paul doesn't pray about the whole world in these prayers that we find in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. He gets to the heart of the matter. And so I want us to look at the prayers of Paul in Ephesians from a different perspective. I'm not interested in... uh, Having Paul teach us how to pray, I want us to know what Paul prayed so that we can know what really matters in the Christian life. We need to come to these prayers and learn what it is that God is stressing upon us as his people and how he wants us to walk and talk, so to speak. And so this morning we want to begin looking at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And as we look at this prayer, what really matters in our walk with God is that we need a closer relationship with God. Paul is not satisfied with people who are Christians and they're going to heaven. The the Christian life means more than that. And so when you look at this prayer that he's reporting to the Ephesians, what he prays for them, he's letting us know what really, really matters is a deeper, a closer walk in relationship with God. And there are three insights that we gain from our passage from this prayer report of the Apostle Paul. Uh, The prayer for a closer relationship with God is a prayer for all genuine believers. What Paul prays for the Ephesians is really what should be prayed for every Christian. It's really a timeless prayer for the people of God. So it doesn't matter if you lived in Ephesus or whether you live in Inglewood. This prayer is for you if you are indeed a child of God, if you are indeed born again. This prayer was prompted because of the riches of the believer's great salvation. That little phrase at the beginning of verse 15, for this reason, really is built upon what Paul has been saying in verses 3 through 14. And it's a rich passage. In in some ways, it's an astounding passage. Uh, It has over 200 words, but it's just one sentence. Paul would have got an F for this long sentence due to his grammar, but it's a complex sentence. It's a wonderful sentence where Paul is extolling God and praising God and blessing God like we've been singing about, but he's been praising God for the blessings of salvation. And when you look back at verses 3 through 14, Paul basically says, look, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he breaks it down. He talks about the blessings from the triune God. The blessings of election, of predestination, of grace, of of redemption, of forgiveness, of inheritance, of being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Blessing after blessing after blessing. And it doesn't cause Paul to yawn or go to sleep. Paul thinks about all the blessings and he says God needs to be praised. God needs to be extolled for what he has done in saving us. And Paul says for this reason, because God has blessed the believer, the genuine believer, with every spiritual blessing, Paul says, I offer prayer for you. The prayer is prompted because of the behavior of these saints. As Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, I got a report about you, Ephesians. News has come to me, even though Paul had a relationship with this church, even though he had spent time with the Ephesian elders, according to Acts 20. Paul says, I, I'm getting a report about you. I'm here in prison, but even though I'm in prison because I'm preaching Christ, I still bow my knees and pray to God. And, and news has come to me. I've heard, and Paul says, what I've heard is about your behavior as Christians. I've heard about the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among all of you. The news had come to Paul that these individuals had put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone. They had repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ. God saved them. And Paul said, that news has come to me. I've heard of your faith. In the Lord Jesus. And Paul says, not only that, but I've heard about your love toward all the saints. And that reminds us of a very, very important truth. We can never, ever separate genuine faith from genuine love. You can't disconnect those two. You you can't walk around and say you have faith in Jesus Christ, and yet you don't love the saints. That is not biblical. That is not possible. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ manifests itself in love toward the saints. And when I say love, I'm not talking about smiley faces and hugs. I'm talking about seeking each other's best possible good as defined by the word of God. And so when you come to the New Testament, you won't find the writers of the New Testament separating faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul talks about how faith works through love. And in 1 John, when we went through that wonderful book in 1 John 4, 7, Paul says everyone who loves is born of God. The two go hand in hand. If, if you're born of God, you love. Uh, the person who loves has been born of God. And Paul says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you've been justified, that you've been declared righteous. But I also know that you're being sanctified. And you have a love, not just for a select few, or some, or most. But Paul says, I've heard of your love for all the saints. What did Paul do with that report? When he heard about their faith, when he heard about their love, what did he do with that? Paul says, it caused my heart to well up in thanksgiving. Paul says, I I, I, I was filled with joy and delight so that, as he says in verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you. How, How can you hear about genuine salvation that manifests itself in real Christian living? How can you hear about that and your heart not be glad What greater joy is there, so to speak? Yes, we're glad, we're delighted. We know the angels in heaven rejoice when a person is saved. But as Christians, we want to know more than just hearing that a person got saved. We want to see the evidence. We want to see the proof. And Paul says, I I got this report. And and Ephesians, you know what I do? I I don't stop giving thanks. Thanks. Because he understands that the only way that this can happen, the only way that this can take place is it has to be the work of God. Individuals do not repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ on their own. Doesn't matter how much intellect you have. Doesn't matter how high your IQ is. Doesn't matter how religious you are. You are not able to turn yourself from sin into God. Only God can do that. And so Paul says, I don't stop giving thanks for you Christians. I'm not a sourpuss. I'm not indifferent. I don't act as if I don't care. No, I'm thanking God. Not just that he saved you, but that there's evidence that there's proof in your love for all the saints. When it comes to Christians, there's a lot of things we can expect of Christians. But some of the basics is faith and love. These virtues are vital to our walk with God. and So Paul lets them know that the time of his Thanksgiving is when he's making prayer for them. In his prayer time, that's the time of thanksgiving, in his prayer time, when he makes mention of them in his prayers. And that leads to the question, what did Paul pray? What did he cry out to God for with regards to these Christians? Well, the remaining verses basically tell us, it gives us the answer to that. I want you to notice that the prayer for a closer walk with God. Is a prayer for every genuine believer, but it's a prayer that every genuine believer knows God. The the prayer that Paul offers is that individuals would know God. I didn't say know about God. Many, many people know about God. And they even know about the God of the Bible. There are atheists, there are pagans who know the Bible sometimes better than Christians. They know about God. But Paul's saying, I'm not praying that you might know about God. I'm praying that you would know God intimately and experientially. That you'll know him personally for yourself. That you'll walk with him and talk with him. That there'll be a deep, close, personal relationship between the God of heaven and earth. In your puny self. I'm praying that you'll have a deeper relationship, closer relationship with God. And that can never happen apart from knowing God. Remember when we looked at Proverbs 3 5 through 6, verse 6 says, In all your ways, not acknowledge, but Know him in everything that I do, in every action, every path, every course that I take. It is to be a priority of my life that I am knowing God intimately and personally and experientially. Not just knowing who he is, not just knowing what he has done, but knowing him for myself. That's a part of this close relationship with God. And my friends, if this is going to happen, if we're going to know God, if we're going to, as Paul says at the end of verse 17, have this knowledge of God, it will require that God himself takes the initiative. I'm not asking you today. And Paul is not praying. Ephesians, pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Paul is praying because he understands that if a person is going to know God, truly know him, it will be because that person has experienced the grace and the mercy of God, that God has been at work in his life. And so when we come to verse 17, we see that this prayer is directed to God. And that doesn't surprise us. That's nothing profound. We don't need to go on Facebook and make a post Prayer is directed to God. Every Christian knows that. But what is significant here is how. And the way that Paul addresses God. He he refers to God. He identifies God as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. When, When Paul prays, he's not praying to a blob. He's not praying to an idea or a thought. He's praying to a personal being, God. And he refers to God as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's letting his readers know, he's letting us know that the God that he prays to has a relationship with the one who's the very center and essence and core of of the Christian faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's at the heart of Christianity. You take him out. Of Christianity, there is no Christianity. And and Paul says he's not the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Ephesians, he's our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your testimony? Is that your statement to others? That when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is my Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, can we say he is our Lord? that we bow in submission to him, that we do what he calls us to do, that he is Jesus who saves from sin, that he is Christ, the Messiah. Paul says, the one I'm praying to is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, quote, has a God. There's a relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and God, the Father. And Paul in no way is diminishing the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Paul is referring to Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus referred to God when he was here on earth. The crucified Savior, when he's hanging on the cross, one of the words, one of the sayings that he utters is, My God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? <laughs> Jesus on the cross acknowledges that God is his God. That, that then in the, the relationship that existed between the Father and the Son, while the Son was on earth, he could say to the Father that you are my God. This was God. God. The son speaking to God, the father, and the son saying to the father, you are my God. And then after Jesus had risen from the dead, remember one of the first people to come to the empty tomb was Mary. (laughs) And Mary got to see the risen Lord before others. And the Lord said to her, Mary, don't be clinging on to me. This is not the time for worship holding on to me. Go. Go tell his disciples. And tell them what? Tell them that I, Jesus, ascend to my father and your father. That I ascend to my God and your God. There is a relationship between the father and son that manifested itself on this earth where the father is the god of our lord jesus christ and paul said that's who i'm praying to i'm not asking some weak impotent person to do a work in your life ephesians i'm bowing my knees to the father of heaven and earth we might not think God can answer prayer. We might have lost confidence in the fact that He answers prayer. But Paul didn't. Paul believed that God was able to answer His prayers. And so He addresses Him as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. And he's not just trying to fill up words. You know, some of us can use flowery terminology, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, trying to impress others, impress God with our prayer. Paul is not doing that. He's pointing out realities, his beliefs about God. And he says that he prays to the Father of glory. When's the last time you, And I have referred to God as the father of glory. I know we call him father and we say our father, but the father of glory, the father to whom glory belongs. You go back to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and you look at that doxology three different times. Paul says to the praise of his that is God's glory. As he thinks about the great salvation of our God, what he has done for us as a believer, Paul keeps saying, to the praise, to the praise, to the praise of his glory. He gets the glory for all that we receive in salvation. He's the glorious father. He's the father who has shown his glory. Remember Moses wanted to see God? (laughs) And God responded and said, I'll show you my glory. He's the father who's characterized by glory. The sum total of his attributes refer to his glory. He's heavy. He's weighty. And Paul says, I'm praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the father of glory. And he requests In his prayer, that God would be gracious to these Christians. And that God would give to these Christians, according to the middle part of verse 17, that God would graciously grant them not a spirit, but the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And there is a difference. A spirit refers to a human spirit, uh, our disposition. But the spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. And and if we are going to know God personally and experientially and intimately, it, it won't come through our human efforts. It requires that God gives us The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And, And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Paul. I sat in on your new member's class. You taught us that at the moment of salvation, we have the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is praying that God would give us the Holy Spirit. Which is it? It's both. At the moment of salvation... The Spirit of God indwells our bodies. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit permanently. Remember Paul has just said to the Christians at Ephesus in verses 13 and 14 that you've been sealed with the Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit in your life is a down payment. That all that God has promised will come to pass. So he believed that they had the Holy Spirit. He's not saying... You need to get the Holy Spirit for the first time or you need to pray for the Holy Spirit. No, he's saying, I want you to experience the Holy Spirit that you received at the moment of salvation in a greater degree. The same thing we saw in Ephesians 5.18 where Paul talked about being filled by the Holy Spirit. Not getting more of the Spirit or getting the Spirit, but the Spirit of God at work in our lives. in giving us wisdom, giving us insight, the Spirit of God at work in our lives, unveiling truth that we find in the Word of God. My friends, Paul understands that the way that you and I can know God, is that we must experience the Spirit of God in a greater degree. We must experience him granting us wisdom and insight and discernment concerning the things of God. And we need the Spirit of God to uncover, to unveil things that we don't see from his word. That's the work of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, I desire that God would give to you, graciously give to you, the Holy Spirit who is responsible for the Christian getting wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Knowing God is a part of our intimate, personal, close relationship with God. That's what really matters. Not that you're a member of a church, that's important. Not that you know the word, that's important. But Paul is saying, I want you to know God. I want you to know God personally and intimately. I want you to know God for yourself. And you can't do that by osmosis. You can't do that by pulling yourself up by your bootstrap. That takes the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think the primary thing that the Spirit of God uses is his word. And so as we embrace the word, as we heard in the prayer, as we're saturated with the word, it's the Spirit of God who's giving us wisdom from that word. In knowing God. It's the spirit of God who's uncovering. And revealing. Knowledge of God. So being. An individual. Who as a Christian. Knows God. That's really what matters. But there's more. There's something more to a closer relationship with God than just simply a knowledge of him. And that's where I want to point out in these remaining verses. And as you've seen in the outline, there's a part two coming, but basically the prayer for a closer relationship to God is a prayer for every genuine believer to know the blessings associated With salvation. A close walk, a deep walk, a close relationship with God cannot happen without knowing God. But may I add, it's more than just knowing God, it's knowing the blessings of God's salvation. I'm fearful that as Christians, we don't really grasp and understand the richness of the blessings of God's salvation. That we are feeding ourselves crumbs instead of filet mignon and ribeye, steak, Of salvation. And and Paul is saying look. As I'm praying for you Ephesians. As my heart's desire is a closer relationship. That you will have with God. I'm also. Aware that you. Need to know. The blessings. The blessings that are associated with. Your salvation. Verse 18, uh, I rendered it a little bit different than I find it in the New American Standard Bible. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I'm just going to take the words literally. Paul says in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And you know that the heart is a mission control center. We're not talking about the physical heart. The heart is a place of thoughts and feelings and emotions. The heart is the hub of our life. And Jesus talked about the importance of the heart. Again, not the physical heart, but the spiritual heart. The heart that is used so often in scripture. And Paul talks about our hearts and he says Ephesians do you realize that your heart has eyes did you know that christian that your inner being the very center of your being the core of your being has eyes that they have the uh, the ability to see see what to see truth That's what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, guess what? He he acknowledges that their eyes have been enlightened. And what that means is, when they got saved, their eyes were open. (laughs) They they were given the ability to see. Because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 makes it very clear that prior to salvation, That the unbeliever, us, prior to salvation, that our minds were blinded from seeing the glorious light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how you viewed yourself before you got saved. I don't know if you thought you were somebody special, that you were somebody important, that you were somebody significant. But the Bible says you were blind. You were blind. That, that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded your mind so that you cannot see. You can be the greatest witness person there is. You can know the gospel backwards and forwards. You can know the four laws. You can know the Romans road and every other method of presenting the gospel. But it's not your cleverness. It's not your ability That will cause a person to see. That person is blind. You and I. When we were lost. We were blind. We couldn't see a lick. We were in the dark. And in the process of salvation. God in his marvelous grace. Removed the blinders. And allowed us to see Christ and to see the gospel so that by his grace we are able to repent of our sins and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's work. That's what he does in every believer. And, And Paul could say to these Christians at Ephesus, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened at salvation. God gave you and me the ability to see We now have the ability to see truth. Without this enlightening work of God, people are going to be stumbling around in darkness. They're going to stumble around in darkness. But Paul words this. He says, not only have your eyes been enlightened, but your eyes are in a state of enlightenment. That your eyes are still open. But, But just like he wanted them to experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Paul, when you look at his prayer, in essence says, yes, I know that you were enlightened when God saved you. I know that your eyes were open to see the truth. And that by God's grace, you embrace Christ. And I know that you're in a state of enlightenment. But you need more enlightenment. And that's what he's really saying in verse 18. They need more, why? So that they might know. And so Paul said, you cannot know The blessings associated with your salvation, unless you experience the eyes of your heart being further enlightened. They were enlightened at salvation, they continue to be enlightened, but there's a greater degree. And that's why Paul is praying this. He's praying for our eyes. Or the eyes of our heart that they will have the ability to see the truth the truth about what what he says in the middle part of verse 18 in the middle part in the beginning of verse 19 and he says that you may know and each time he tells us what it is he wants us that you may know what is the hope of his calling that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that you may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul said, that's what I want you to know. Those are the blessings of salvation that I want God to open your eyes to see. This is really what matters in my walk with God, that I would know the hope of his salvation that I would know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is, and that I would know the surpassing greatness of his power. Now, if you want to know the details about that, if you want to know why that's so marvelous and wonderful, you got to come back next Sunday. Because <laughs> I'm wrapping it up. I know some of you get scared. You find that I'm only in verse 18, and there's 20... I got to go to verse 23. I'm wrapping it up. The thing that I want to wrap up with is a personal situation with me. When I was young, when my father was alive, and even after my father had died, uh, our family would go to a Christian camp. It was a five-day camp. And it was held in the San Bernardino San Bernardino Mountains, high in the mountains. I hate height, so many times I would just have to crawl under the seat as the car kept going up. But it was a Christian camp sponsored by the Western Baptist State Convention. Reverend Glenn, he was often there. I got pictures of him at the camp. My sister was there. Deacon Yu was there. In fact, Deacon Yu's brother was my camp counselor one year. But I have fond memories of being at Thousand Pines Christian Camp. And one of my fondest the most vivid memory, is that God rescued my life when I was at that camp. As a little boy, under eight years old, I found myself walking around the swimming pool, and the next thing I know, I was in the pool. It's not a problem if you know how to swim. (laughs) But for me, it was a problem. And I remember thinking, wow, there's whales down here. There's sharks down here. But fortunately, somebody saw me fall in and saved my life. I remember that vividly. But there's a lot of memories related to that camp. There's some songs that we used to sing. And uh, one of the songs that we would sing, every time we lined up to eat, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we would sing. What? It's the highway to heaven. None can walk up there but the pure in heart. Now I don't know what that song had to do with eating. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't talk about eating, but we would line up and we would march into the dining hall and sing. It's a highway to heaven. The kids, the adults, the youth, etc. But there's another song one year that I remember we sang. And it was the song, Open My Eyes, That I May See. Open my eyes. And at the, no, every time the speaker was uh, preached in the evening, that's the song that we sung. Slowly, devotionally, but open my eyes, that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. I appreciate that song now, having read Psalm 119, verse 18, where the psalmist prayed, Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Paul understood the importance of God opening the eyes of Christians. Because the reality is sometimes as Christians, we just don't see it. We don't sometimes get it. There there are truths that are marvelous and wonderful. But it's as if we're in a state of darkness concerning it. And Paul is saying, God, open the Ephesians' eyes so that they can see the, the, the blessings associated with salvation. Help them to realize that what's really important when it comes to walking with God is not only knowing God, but knowing the blessings associated with salvation. And so Paul gave thanks to God for these Christians and he prayed for them. He prayed that they would know God and that they would know the blessings of God's salvation. And he understood that didn't happen naturally. They needed the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in order to gain knowledge of God. They needed God to open their eyes so they could see the hope of God's calling so that they could see the riches of the blessings of God's inheritance in us. That's a marvelous truth. I hope you come back next Sunday and and learn what that means. But Paul ends up by saying that they may know the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Some of us are atheistic in our practice. We don't believe God can do it. We're going to wallow in our sins the rest of our life here on earth. And we need to be crying out to God, God, open my eyes. Help me to see All that you've done for me. That I don't have to walk around defeated and discouraged in my walk with you. That I can have that victory in Jesus that we sing about. And we can have it because of the power. The glorious power. The great power. The surpassing power of God toward us. We'll see more about this prayer for a closer relationship with God, Lord willing, next Sunday. Let's pray together.